Okay, welcome back to the Perspectives in Rural Education podcast. This is episode seven, and today we have with us Russ Tomlin, who is the principal at Moulton Middle School in Shelbyville. So welcome to the podcast, and go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Like you said, my name is Russ Tomlin. I'm the principal at Moulton Middle School in Shelbyville. It's a fourth through eighth grade building. Um, I originally grew up in Villa Grove and so spent my K-12 career there. And uh, after graduating from Villa Grove, made my way to Eastern Illinois. And that's where I obtained my bachelor's, master's and specialist. Thank you, EIU. I've definitely supported uh, you as best as I can financially. Um, And then ended up starting teaching here in, in Shelbyville at this building back in 2004. Okay, so you've always been at Shelbyville. Yeah, so it's 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 been really interesting listening to the podcast, and everyone's kind of had a different story, um, and so that's been kind of fun. Is that you know for me, my story is is that you know I actually started in Shelbyville in '04 and taught fourth grade in this building for eight years, and then now I'm in my tenth year in the in the principal's role. So. Um, I don't have that variety of uh, experience right now. So I, I feel like there's things that, you know, you sometimes miss when you don't do that. But there are also some perks, too. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it, spe- it says a lot about the school district. If you stayed, you know, it must be a good place. Yeah, yeah, I do think a, 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 an awful lot of it. It actually does remind me a lot of home. Um, Villa Grove, even though it's a little bit of a smaller town, um, you know, just a lot of similarities. And I think that's kind of the, the the joy of rural education is, you know, there's that connection and relationship in, in a lot of our, our communities. Yes, so true. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Why did you decide to go into education? Was that always the plan? Well, you know, so when second grade, when I thought I wanted to be a professional wrestler like Hulk Hogan, and I thought I was going to be like 6'4", 250, um, <laughs> when I started to realize that wasn't happening, um, honestly, I, I actually wanted to go into teaching uh, when I was in fifth grade. Um, had some amazing educators uh, that that just really had an impact on my life. Uh, you know, especially as someone that grew up with my background. So uh, it was around probably even high school is when I even started having the thoughts that maybe I wanted to be an administrator because of, you know, my experiences with the, the educators in, in Villa Grove. So, sort of like for me growing up, um, it was actually, I grew up in a house that, you know, my dad wasn't in the picture and then my mom left when I was in sixth grade. And so, you know, those are some pretty formative times and man, you know, you have some amazing educators that hold you to high standard but still love and care about you and, and, and made you feel that way. It, it, you know, looking back, like I just felt like I was one of the, like I was just a normal kid. And, and so that was, that was really, really special. And so then even when I was in high school, looking back, you know, the reason I started thinking about administration for me was because, you know, Danny Powell was the, the elementary middle school principal. And I just saw the impact he had, not just on, on, staff, but on students too. I mean, he had a, a huge impact on me as well. So that, that was my why. I mean, just that safe space that, you know, let you know what you could count on. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm creating that here too. Um, probably not as solid as those, those people, Bill Grove, the, the Danny Powell's and the Bill Granzes. And I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. That's awesome. I like how you mentioned how like the teacher's and, and educators like in your district growing up, how they held you to a high standard, but they also like 
had you had that caring connection with them because I think like you can have both and I feel like not a lot of people realize that where you don't have to be just soft and you know all caring but you can also hold your students to a high standard so that's cool that you talked about that um and so back in high school you were already considering administration I'm curious why you know, looking back, I'm starting to question that too. You know why? You know, there's some days that are are different than others. But um, like I said, um, you you could walk through the halls, and Mr. Powell would know every single student's name, have a conversation with them, know something about them, and then you'd see him interact with the staff, and you could just feel this genuine connection with them that they were. They were colleagues, they were coworkers, but, you know, there was a, a caringness to each other. Yeah. Uh, so it just, it really made me think, you know, as a teacher, I get the opportunity to impact 20 kids at a time, you know, each year, 25, whatever the number is. And then, you know, as a, you know, a coach, maybe another 15 kids each year. So you're really looking at maybe 35 mm-hmm. per year. I got to see this guy, you know, 60, 70 kids per grade from kindergarten through eighth grade plus, you know, 20, 30 staff members. And I just thought, man, how amazing is that? What an awesome opportunity to have an impact and and seeing someone do it really well. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, that that would be fun. Um, It's harder than it it looked, but he made it look easy. But it's it's it was just that opportunity. That's what excited me was that idea. That's awesome. And so in your first year of teaching, what was it like? Like, what was one thing that you learned in your first year that surprised you? I had no idea how exhausting that first year would be. Um, you know, you, you, you think you're in you're in decent shape. You know, you play basketball, you know, you have time at the rec or whatever, you know, all that good stuff. The mentally exhausting questions and not they weren't even always hard questions. It was just, they, there's so many questions uh, that you get asked throughout the course of the day. And so that was really, really overwhelming. Um, it just, it mentally drains you. And then, you know, you go home and you're crashing at 3.30 and you're like, why am I so tired? I didn't physically do anything. Um, and then the other thing that I think was really challenging as a first year teacher is, you know, you're trying to do the absolute best you can to support your students and support your parents. But for me, one of the things that was hard is I wasn't a parent. I wasn't married. I, I, you know, I didn't have kids. It was, you're, you're trying to know what to do and you kind of knew what you were doing educationally. But then if you're talking with a parent and they're asking you about, well, what's your advice? Because we're seeing this at home, you know, you're, you're still trying to figure that out. You know, at that time I'm 22, the kids 10, I mean, there's not this huge gap there. So, so that was, that was a little overwhelming as well. Yeah, I could see that. I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. That's so interesting. Um, And so what grade did you teach your first year? So my first year, I taught fourth grade um, here at at Moulton. So I had, I I don't remember, maybe 22, 23, 9, and 10-year-olds, you know, where you walk in. And I've heard some of the other, other people on here say, yeah, you walk in and Hey, here's your classroom and here's what you need to do. And, you know, let us know if you have any questions. And honestly, sometimes that is kind of what happens with you know, a new teacher. Here's your curriculum, you know, yeah. but as administrators, we're not experts in every curriculum mm-hmm. you know, like that. That's just completely unrealistic to think, you know, if, if, if 
I could have taught first, second, and third grade, but fourth grade would have been something different to me. So, so it is, uh, it's definitely overwhelming. Um, you know, you get provided those materials and then it, it's just kind of time to dive in. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you planning on going into middle school? Like is middle school where you wanted to be? Not at all. No, no, <laughs> it was, it was just 100% the, uh, Shelbyville, uh, Dr. Sheila Greenwood was the principal at Moulton at the time. She had been a teacher at Villa Grove. And so just that comfort level of knowing the person that was going to be leading someone that you had, you know, seen on a day-to-day basis and you really trusted and you knew they were a great educator that cares about kids. So when, when seeing that there was an opening in her building, um, even though it was a unique setup, fourth and fifth grade here is actually your typical elementary. So, you know, you teach everything, you know, it's not specialized. Sixth, seventh, eighth is when you see that middle school concept. So it was, it was just teaching fourth grade. The unique thing being though, instead of fourth graders being kind of the older kids in the building, they're the absolute youngest. Um, So that was never a plan, never a thought. Um, But getting here, it was great because then I had the opportunity to, to see kids from the ages of nine to, to 14. And it is kind of fun because there is a big, big shift uh, in personalities, you know, as they hit junior high. Yeah. It's always funny to me to hear, um, like, I think Alan Zuber, I think he was saying like, he loved middle school. Like he loved that age group of kids. And then I hear some people who are like, I will never be in a middle school. <laughs> and so it's just funny how like, the preference for different age groups. And I totally understand and understand how people's personalities match and better, better in different places too. Um, and so when the principal job opens up, like what was the transition like, or how did that come about? Well, um, so that was, that that was definitely an interesting situation for me. I mean, it was, I I love Shelbyville. I was super excited, but you know, there were a couple opportunities here from an administrative standpoint that didn't work out for me. And that, that, that's actually something that was really important and good for me to grow and and learn that it was not my time. And I wasn't probably ready. And, And looking back on my first year and that transition, it was accurate that I still had some, just some, some life lessons to learn, some education lessons to learn. And so the first year I was just super blessed. I know, um, you know, Bill Fritcher on an early episode was talking about when he was teaching in Shelbyville and, you know, he was also talking about some of the, the benefits of having a veteran staff. I had a really veteran staff that, that knew what they were doing. They just, you know, basically embraced and, you know, said, okay, you know, you're going to make your mistakes and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help you out and carry you along the way is probably what they were thinking. But um, the transition was hard in the regard that you just don't know what every day is going to hold. That was a really, really big change. Whereas, you know, you walk into your classroom, you're able to shut the door and, you know, for the most part, you're controlling kind of the the organization and this is what we're going to do. This is the order. These are the things we need to accomplish. And, uh, you know, that first year, there was a lot of learning. You, you can walk in planning on accomplishing, you know, three things, but you might not get one thing done and it's four o'clock all of a sudden. So um, that was that was a big learning learning moment for sure. Yeah, I'm sure that would be such a, like an interesting adjustment. Like, do, do people prep you? Do you know what you're getting into? Or is it kind of like, you're just, you start doing it and you figure it out. Yeah. A lot of it's just, you know, learning on the fly. I mean, like 
Easter does a fantastic job of preparing you for a lot of the, the structural things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I became a, a principal, they had a new leaders organization, which was phenomenal. It was first year principals. And we got to meet with um, veteran principals. And, and, and that really helped you kind of sometimes think through some of the decision making um, or the process that might work for your building. But it's that day to day thing like the first time you have a parent that's upset about something or a, a student discipline issue or a staff member, the thing that probably shocked me the most that they they can't prepare you for, but is when your staff goes through losses, um, that 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 hurts. And there it, it's hard. You don't know what to do. There's nothing you can say. I mean, you know, you grow closer to these, you know, people that you care about and yeah. they become your family. And then they, they go through a loss and, and you're feeling it too. And, yeah. you know, you've got to be respectful too of their time and they, they might not be ready for you to share that, or they might not want anyone to know what they're going through and, and that's okay, but it weighs on you. And, and, and that's absolutely the hardest thing in this role um, is just knowing some of the things that your staff and your students are going through. Whereas as a teacher, I, I only knew about those 20 kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, in this building, there's 420 or 30 kids and 35 staff members. So it just increases the likelihood that, you know, rough things are going to happen. And, you know, you're going to have to do what you can to help people. Right. I would love to hear you talk more about what it's like to kind of lead your staff as the principal. And like, what, what things do you keep in mind when you're, um, I mean, talking to your staff members or um, things like that, especially because when you, you kind of made it sound like when you started as a principal, the teachers were veterans. And so some of them are older than you. And what is that dynamic like? Um, If you're lucky, you have veterans that are okay with adapting and adjusting. They maybe even went through a few um, administrators. So they're going to support you. Um, The, the, thing that probably stands out to me the most is to remember what it was like to be the teacher mm-hmm. um, when it comes to your time. Um, I, I really don't enjoy meetings. Like that's not my favorite thing. You know, as a teacher, I was like, oh boy, you know, we're going to have a faculty meeting, you know, like what is, what's this going to be about? So, you know, knowing that walking in and saying, okay, guys, these are the things we have to accomplish. You know, I'm going to try not to waste your time. And I'm sure there are days that they're walking in like, oh boy, you know, what are we having this meeting for? But, you know, some of it you have to do. Um, but, but I really think that was probably the most important thing for me um, is, you know, valuing their time like I would want my time valued. Um, and I think as, as teachers too, that's, that's important. If you can even remotely remember what it's like to be a student, it will make your life, I think, a lot more successful with your students if you think, okay, I'm not going to give you this busy work because, I don't like busy work. So why would I give you that? Like, let's make these meaningful meetings, conversations, um, you know, everything with a purpose as best as possible. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I feel like I've asked that question a lot and I always get different answers, but I've been waiting for someone to say this because like, that's what I would imagine is that when you make that transition to, um, to principal or to an administrator at all, in your leading staff, like to keep in mind what it was like to be the teacher. And then I didn't even think about how that even trickles down into like, as the teacher remembering what it was like to be a student. And it's like, it just makes sense that that would be the most effective way. Um, just considering the perspectives of others. 
And so, um, let's see. Why did you choose to, I know you grew up in probably a rural school district. And so why have you chosen to stay in rural education? You know, honestly, for me, it's all about the relationships, um, you know, kind of like what I touched on, uh, what it was like growing up in Villa Grove. Um, you always felt like I had a great relationship with the teachers because they I, like they showed you they cared like you knew they cared about you and they cared about every student, um, whether you, you got in trouble or not. They wanted the best for you. And, and so. You know, that was why for me, you know, Shelbyville feels so much like home is because it feels so much like like it was when I was growing up. But, you know, for me, the rural education is just the relationships. That doesn't mean that you can't have that in an urban or suburban, you know, setting. It's just, you know, when I say walking through the halls and knowing every student's name, I can't imagine walking through the doors every day and not knowing your students' names. That That would be... That, that would be hard for me. I feel like that would have a negative impact on my attitude towards my job because it's so important to me. So the, the rule setting is where I know I can be the most successful in establishing and maintaining those relationships. Not to mention, and this is something that we don't talk a lot about in education, but the value of your relationships with other school districts. Um, I, I've really, really enjoyed getting to know people and, you know, all these other districts around us. I mean, in Shelbyville, we're surrounded by all kinds of wonderful school districts that are doing so many different things. There are so many amazing teachers and administrators. And so it's easy to pick up the phone and call someone, you know, call an Andy Johnson or a Bill Fritch or call, call any of the guys around, you know, some of these people we've taught together or, you know, they've been a, a, a teacher here, you know. Uh, Ross four lines at Oak Hall Valley. I mean, like the names just keep rolling and you can have those relationships with those people and they can help you and you can help them. So it's not just relationships with your students and not just with your staff, but your colleagues around, even though we might be 30 miles apart, we're a phone call away. And it's, 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 it's just kind of special to me. Yeah, that is so interesting. I've never thought about that, but I can definitely see that. Um, especially, especially in this area, like I think even having like Andy Johnson on the podcast and he's referencing Bill Fritcher and just, I mean, you're doing the same with them. Um, what did you know that like ahead of time, or is that something like that they reached out to you and you've kind of like maintained that relationship since then? Like, I would love to hear you just explain that more. Like, what does that look like yeah. to have that relationship? Well, and what's so really unique about it is I had absolutely no idea that's how that plays out. Like, yeah, I just yeah. imagined, you know, wherever you teach, you know, everyone that you teach with, and mm -hmm. that's who you spend a, a majority of, you know, the rest of your life for 35 years getting to know. Um, but people move for different reasons, um, right. whether it's just, you know, they're ready for a change or, you know, they're, you know, um, getting married or, you know, a change in, you know, opportunities, whatever the case may be, it, it, kind of actually expands your your tree a little bit. There are more branches so that you know people in different locations. And so um, it, it's it's really neat where, you know, maybe someone you worked with and you get to know them and some of their coworkers. Um, when, when I first started teaching, I actually lived in Sullivan um, and, and my best friend taught in Sullivan. So I got to know some of the, the educators over there. And then some of those educators became administrators in other districts. So then, you know, now all of a sudden I'm getting to know people in those districts or you go to a, a PLC and 
you know, for the art with the regional office of education and you get a chance to be around some of those people or, you know, with some of the guys that you just mentioned, getting to know them at the EIU grow your own initiative and sitting down and talking about what can we do? That's probably how I got to know those guys uh, a lot more. And, you know, the best thing I could do, which is hard for me is to sit and listen, you know, I, you know, but I respected those guys and, you know, there are so many wonderful educators and it's, a variety of different ways that it kind of happens. Um, mm-hmm. just, just by being present and, you know, putting yourself out there sometimes at meetings and other times just getting to know colleagues in your building. So, right. Right. That's awesome. Can you give us a glimpse into the Shelbyville school district? Like what are some special things about it and why have you chosen to stay? Oh, wow. Um, magical things in Shelbyville. I mean, the first thing is you get to wear purple. I mean, clearly, you know, as, as the Rams, you know, a little purple and white, I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty magical, but we, we just, I think have a, a pretty good emphasis on the social emotional learning side. This is not something new to us. Um, you know, this is not just an initiative, you know, it's been something that we've really had an emphasis on, um, for quite a while. Um, you know, probably, predating, um, you know, me moving into the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, it was already kind of something that was thought about, but then, you know, as, you know, I moved into my role, you know, talking across all three buildings, you know, our preschool, actually four buildings kind of with our preschool, but preschool, Main Street, our, which is our elementary and the high school, looking at, okay, how do we help kids succeed? And it's not just academics. How do we help them with work ethic? How do we help them, you know, develop their grit, empathy for others? I think that's probably one of the things that made Shelbyville stand out to me was that, you know, there was an understanding of it's not just presenting the academic piece, but there is that social piece. There's the emotional piece. There's, um, you know, the, the, the way people feel and that's, that's for staff as well. But, you know, seeing that emphasis really let me know, that's where I want to be because culture is probably the thing that I put the largest emphasis on. And that, that isn't necessarily right or wrong, but I think if you have a good, strong culture where people work together and care about each other and trust each other, then the best things are going to happen. And I think that's part of that social emotional piece. And uh, so to me, that's the thing that stands out the most about, about Shelbyville because it's been something that's been important to the district for, for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. That's really cool to hear too, because it's definitely become a hot topic in recent years. And so it's really cool to hear that that it's been implemented there for a while now. Um, what vision or hope do you have for, it could be your career in education, it could be for like the field of education in general or for your school district, but what kind of vision or hope do you have for the future? Um, you know, for, for me, honestly, what I really hope is that, you know, when I retire, you know, I'll have some of the same stories that, you know, you, you can hear on the podcast where, you know, a kid comes up and says, you made a difference. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to say that, you know, at the end of my career, I've had the impact that the educators in Villa Grove had on me. Um, and that hopefully someone will feel the same way that I felt, you know, about, about those people, um, you know, like, uh, uh, Mr. Danny Powell and, and, and those educators, um, really for our building and, and our district, my, my hope is, is that, you know, we're going to continue to do our best to, to make kids, um, 
successful. And, and, and my definition of success isn't really the, the amount of money you make or what degree you earn or any of that. It's, you know, are you going to be someone that's going to care about others and do the best that you can every day? You know, um, at Main Street Elementary, you know, as much as I, you know, hate to give Ryan Scott, our elementary principal, a shout out, you know, be nice and work hard is is his, his mantra, um, you know, and we adapt that, you know, when, when they come to the, the middle school and talk about being respectful, accountable, motivated, and safe. So be, a, be, be Rams. Um, but I think that be nice and be nice and work hard is a, a pretty, pretty simple thing. That's what I'd love for us to be able to say is that we're, we're helping kids know how to do those very, very basic things. Mm-hmm. Do your best and treat others the way you want to be treated. If we can do that, we'll be really, really successful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given pertaining to education and maybe something that you still like think about or implement daily? Um, I, I absolutely know exactly where to go with this. I remember um, at a wedding, Mr. Powell pulls me off to the side when I was, you know, getting ready to to, to go into, I think it was maybe my second year of teaching. And uh, he said, remember this and always remember this. Sometimes the kids that are the hardest to love are the ones that need it the most. And the ones that are the easiest to love are the ones that need it the least. Um, and man, that... You know, just just hearing that, uh, you know, it, it, I still kind of get chills. And that's that's yeah. not even I can hear it, though. I can hear him saying that I can feel the emotion um, and, and, and what he really, truly believed. He 100 percent believed that. And he's 100 percent right. So to me, as an educator, um, you know, there are days that it might be harder than others, but if every educator remembered that, you know, when you're having a tough time connecting with a student, um, I think that's probably the best advice I've ever been given. And I'd relay that to anyone. And hopefully people will remind me of that when I need to hear it too. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And it's, so I mean, that's so true. And I'm sure that like being in education as, as the years like go by, there's different kids that are hard to love each year. And, but when you understand, like I, I'm in grad school right now for speech pathology and something that one of my professors said one time was that, um, kids behavior like is communicating something. And that has changed the way I see kids interact and behave so much because I'm like, like, what are they trying to communicate? They're not trying to be bad all the time, sometimes maybe, but not all the time. Usually it's like they're trying to communicate something. And so I like, that's such good advice. I love that. The thing is too, is remembering to grow. I mean, because Mm -hmm. you know, that it would be easy not to remember that and it'd be easy to just assume things, but things do change. And, you know, we do know that COVID is having an impact on our students and has had an impact on our students and our staff and our communities. It's impacted everyone in so many different ways. And we don't know, like, just because it impacted me one way doesn't mean it impacts you the same way. So, you know, you've got to be able to adjust and, and, and learn. And I think that's something that, you know, with student behavior, you know, you do have to remember, I'm still learning. There are days that I probably do better at, at, handling it than others. And, you know, every day I hope to do my best, but hopefully every day I'm better than I was the day before. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we wrap up, do you have one student story, um, maybe an impactful story or just a story that you will always remember? 
Um, yeah, so I know you asked this question, uh, you know, and I've, I've thought about it quite a bit. Um, and it's kind of a more personal on, on just advice for myself. Um, and it's something I need to always remember. Um, and I'd encourage anyone as you're going through education, whether as an administrator or a, a teacher. Um, but I remember there was a particularly difficult situation um, when I was when I was um, in one of my first years, and uh, unfortunately DCFS was involved, and um, I just didn't have any idea what you know this student was going through. Uh, kind of like what we were talking about, I had absolutely no clue, and I just remember as as you know they're just very bluntly sharing what their experience was the night before. Um, and, and I'm sitting there thinking about, I, I can't imagine that ever happening to me um, or my loved ones. And and so walking out of that, that meeting, I remember I walked in the door later on that evening and um, my oldest daughter, who's, who's 11 now was, was, I think probably like, you know, four, and uh, she really loved watching the movie Tangled. And she, you know, I walked in the door and I think it was Monday night football was maybe on. It had been a really, really long day, maybe some supervision. And she uh, said, Dad, do you want to watch Tangled? And all I wanted to do was really plop down in the recliner and veg out. But because of that story, you know, I said, I absolutely do. So, so, you know, the student story, unfortunately, it wasn't that uplifting story, but it is the story that always pops in my mind. Um, that I need to be better at home. Um, and I also need to remember what, what kids are going through, but that that's something that's always probably going to be etched into my, my, my brain, honestly, is, is what he was going through. And I, I just didn't know. Yeah, that's so good. Especially because like when I asked that question, I think people, people assume that it's just about school, but I think almost everybody that's answered it it's, it's so much more. It's about like that kid's life, you know, and you can't, something that Andy Johnson talked about, he was telling the story about a similar situation where he had no idea what was going on in this kid's life at home. And the reality is you can't separate the two. Like, like once you understand what a child's home life is like, it makes so much sense for, you know, the way that they're doing in school and you just can't separate the two. So I love that. All right. Well, Thank you so much for being a part of this. I I like have enjoyed doing this so much because it's so fun to hear the different things that people say. And it was cool to hear you when we started off the podcast, you were talking about kind of why you went into education and just that memory of your own principal in elementary school, going through the hallway and greeting all the kids and stuff. And I can hear how similar you are to him in that way and just the way that you care for the kids and um like I feel like every one of your answers somehow related back to like it's all about the students it's all about the kids and them being successful and so it's really awesome to hear the way that that's impacted you in your career today well thank you so much for having me it's truly an honor I mean you've had some amazing people on here um, I thank you for doing it. I think this is you know an opportunity for all of us to learn. I've enjoyed listening because you know you can even learn about some of your colleagues or even pick up some things from from each of them. So thank you so much for having me. It was a, truly a pleasure, and I uh, look forward to being a listener. 